thought it might be interesting if somebody's trying to figure out a niche doing some clonables in different um, niches so that they have more projects underneath their belt but they can see what these different styles are like and they can research them and then if you start doing maybe like two or three clonables in the same niche maybe you might want to explore that Hey, hey, Webflailers, it's the Jacker Snack. Welcome to episode 21 of Webflail with Emily Giordano. If you haven't heard of Emily, why not? She is a Webflow legend. Emily's a huge inspiration to me personally. She's the great design lead podcast host with over 83 episodes at the point of this recording and aggressively researches guests. So I have gone into researching for this episode a lot more than usual, by the way. She is the founder of podwork.io for podcasters to find guests and for potential guests to find podcasts to be on. And she is a UX designer and web flower. So Embrace and learn from failure in episode 21 of Webflow with Emily Giordano. Thanks so much for coming on Webflow, Emily. Ah, thank you. So I must confess, I'm a little bit nervous to interview you because you are the hostess with the mostess. You've got podwork.io. I assume you're still doing a little bit of freelance work. You've got the podcast itself. Then you're applying for interviews, which no doubt you are researching the hell out of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how do you how do you juggle life? Well, it's a lot, but it's okay. <laughs> um, so for the last year, uh, previous to now, I was a UX designer at an insurance company in the US. And after that, I was doing podcasts either before or after work. Uh, and then I was freelancing on top of that. And that was that was a lot. And so I kind of got a little burnt out. And then um, uh, I realized that that job wasn't the job that I wanted to be in forever, even though it was a really great job and I learned a lot. Um, and so I uh, I went on a long trip, um, did a whole bunch of podcasts before it so I could do zero podcasts for a month. And I came back and I realized that I wanted to join a UX team rather than freelancing, which I was doing before. Yeah, so for the past two months, I've just been podcasting a lot. And I think I've probably done like 20, 25 interviews in the last two months. So it's a lot. You have more time in your day when you don't have a lot going on. <laughs> so they, all these interviews are backed up and you are about to release them. Oh, oh I have job interviews. But I also have been doing a ton of podcast uh, episodes too. So yeah, I'd be doing like three a week or something like that. Um, for for a little bit I just get a lot of energy from them so it's really fun for me <laughs> wow I mean that's that's amazing but I guess like research wise I know that I've overheard you say it to Melissa Mendes when you were doing Twitter live that you do three days of research minimum for podcast guests like how do you do that I mean that's a selfish question because anyone that's listening is not necessarily a podcaster <laughs> how are you putting that much time into that um, so it's, it's not like three full days. It'll be like a couple hours each day, just so that, uh, I don't know, I'll like go through somebody's entire Instagram. I'll go through a bunch of their Twitter stuff. If they have a bunch of stuff on YouTube or a bunch of podcasts that they've done, go on Spotify and search their name to see if they've been on other podcasts and stuff. And then I usually have a notion document where I, uh, have an aggressive amount of information on you. Um, and then I send it to people afterwards. They're like, where did you even find this? <laughs> I can vouch for that because when I interviewed Harry Roper, you were like, yeah. oh, send me my notes. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> this is like a detective's document. 
like a handbook. Yeah, you're, you're um, very rare that you've actually seen my, my notes on people. <laughs> yeah, impressive stuff, Emily. So speaking of the podcast, and I'm just very interested in you as someone that started off with the podcast to meet different people, but it's kind of just like opened so many doors to you. And I am a big advocate for encouraging new web flowers to just reach out to people and say, hey, do you want to have a virtual coffee? But can you talk to people about just the power of just asking other people to uh, have a chat with and kind of how that's changed your life? So when I was a senior in college, I started reaching out to people that I thought were interesting on LinkedIn (laughs) and saying, hey, do you want to be friends like a crazy person? And then they said yes, which was very nice. And I started having conversations with people on the phone. At that point, I had decided that I wanted to be a freelancer and I was freelancing and doing a whole bunch of projects and stuff. Not a whole bunch, but enough to get by when you're 22. So that kind of took this pressure off of me of every conversation is a potential job. I started just having conversations with people because I thought they were interesting and I really liked them and I was curious about them. People were very confused. Like, I don't know if this is an American thing, but they were like, what do you want? Like, do you need a job? Like, what's going on? And I was like, I was just interested in you. I just wanted to hear your story. And uh, the fact that I didn't want anything and I was just genuinely interested, the whole dynamic changed. And I've gotten so many opportunities, so much advice. Like, there was a job where I was interviewing for And kind of in secret, um, one person that I knew at that company was reviewing my assignments uh, that I was working on and giving me interview prep. Like He totally could do that. It's just it wasn't a public thing. And just the number of people that genuinely would want to help you when you want nothing from them is amazing. So that that's my advice for anybody listening. Yeah. And I've heard you say in regards to preparing for podcasts or how you think about the podcasts, it's not my episode, it's their episode. And I kind of think that that mentality lends itself to Webflow as well. Like if you kind of give more than you take, when you approach someone and just say, hey, can I ask for help? Can I offer you any support type thing with no agenda other than to just be like, you know, I want to help you as much as ask you for advice. Like things happen in a crazy way. And I found that just in the last few months, like having these types of conversations and then months down the line, it might be like, hey, can you review this project? And then suddenly you're working with that person. And like right now I'm doing a landing page. Well, no, I did an initial landing page and then Joseph Berry basically made it amazing. But now I'm working with someone like Joseph Berry on like a personal project, which is crazy to think that's kind of come from the podcast. So I very much second that, Emily, give more than you take and be genuine and people will be genuine back. Mm -hmm. Somebody told me about like being honest and genuine and telling the truth and things like that. And there's such a relief because you never have to like remember what you said (laughs) or remember the kind of person that you were. Uh, Just if you're always yourself, then you're always consistent and people can uh, rely on you to I don't know, be the same person. And uh, they know that that's really you. So, yeah. And can you tell me about this phrase, crabs in buckets? Because <laughs> I heard you talk about this and I love this idea. And I want, I, wanted, I wondered if you could share that with the audience. Yeah, I don't know if this is an, an American phrase or... or a, I have never heard it, but I love crabs it. Crabs in a bucket? Yeah. Crabs in a bucket, yeah. So, um, 
there's a phenomenon that if you have a bunch of crabs in the in a bucket um, and one tries to climb out, the other crabs will pull it back down into the bucket. I have not tested this. I am not a scientist. I just know that it's a phrase. And but it really means more about like life and and people. Like if um if you and a bunch of other friends are at a certain level and then one of your friends ascends to a higher level, you might try to put them down or bring them down or be jealous of them. Meanwhile, if they get out of the bucket, maybe you might be the person to ascend to that next level and try and keep everybody at the same level and um putting them down. Uh, is only going to keep you guys all in the same bucket. So that's the story. <laughs> so essentially, you know, help everyone else and and try and like offer support to people who are ascending, and you might also kind of ascend. Is that is that kind of the the alternate reality that could happen? That's Great. the people version. <laughs> that's the people version. Yeah. yeah. Luckily, we're not crabs. <laughs> So let's get into your failures then. Tell me about failure number one, wanting to be a graphic designer and realizing that wasn't what you were most passionate about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it is wild that we pick our careers at 16, 17 years old when you are not fully developed. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. I, I tell people about the 16-year-old version of me um, who was extremely cocky um, and thought she had the whole world figured out, thought she knew what her entire career was going to be. I literally had a meeting with my guidance counselor at 16, and I had a sheet of paper with a, a, a line, and I had all of the different points of, like, when I was going to have kids and, like, what career I was going to have and, like, when I'm going to get promoted and I'm going to be an art director at some point. I was going to work at Pentagram or I was going to work at someplace like that. And my guidance counselor just laughed and he's like, you you think you know everything. I'm like, it's because I do. And I did not. Um, and because you don't. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I... Uh, uh, I was introduced to design, um, listening to the Design Matters podcast. And so the, the one that was most influential to me was, um, her, it was Debbie's episode with Michael Beirut from Pentagram. And uh, I learned that there's this thing called design. And I started taking all of these digital art classes and I went to college for graphic design. Um, and it's very scary when you're about to graduate and you think, this is the closest thing to what I want to do. There's nothing else that I really want to do that I know of, but there's something missing and I don't know what it is and I don't want to admit it to myself. And so, yeah, that was a really tough point in my life, um, trying to figure out what to do, how to support myself and all of that. And then um, after taking a web design class in my senior year of college, I was like blown away and I thought, this is a thing that's been missing. And then from then on, I've just been figuring it out. <laughs> yeah, it's quite scary when you think that okay, this is what success looks like for me. And then you finally get there and then realize it's not all that. And you're like, oh no, this is what I've been working towards. And this is not it. Like, and then to, to kind of go again. So I think that's a really important lesson to learn kind of so young in your career. Cause I don't think, you know, some people who get to like midlife crisis stage working up to whatever their like dream salary is or dream job and then realizing, oh wait, this isn't it. Yeah. Do you think you're quite lucky from that perspective to like realize that so young? I mean, I'm glad that I had my quarter life crisis at 23. <laughs> it was, I, I, I laugh about it now and I'm like, oh, it's good for the plot. <laughs> good for the plot of my life. <laughs> Character development. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm very grateful for it. Um, 
Uh, and I'm very grateful that I had people around me that um, were willing to like support me emotionally and tell me, Emily, everything's going to be okay. This is not the end of the world. It's still in design world. I don't know why you're freaking out about this. <laughs> but yeah. That's and why, <laughs> I'm intrigued why you thought that at 16, you know, you, you talk about this arrogant girl who knew exactly what she was going to do. Why do you think that you change, you've changed as much as you have? Because I'm looking at you now and I cannot even imagine that girl. So I don't know if it's just the, the high school that I grew up in, but it was very much if you didn't have these prerequisites at this time, then you couldn't get into these classes in high school and then you weren't on the correct track. and well, colleges like you if you didn't accept this. And uh, um, it was very much a lot of pressure on like a 15, 16 year old kid um, to know what they want to do and also be taking classes towards that career goal. Yeah, there's so much pressure on, on kids to know what they want to do way too young. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I think I just kind of just picked something. And then thought, okay, well, this is what I picked. Now I can feel confident. Now I can relax. <laughs> I kind of think the same is true for niching um, with Webflow. There's a lot of advice about you should niche, you should niche, you should niche. And I understand where that's coming from because, you know, the, the narrower your focus of people, the more you can um, kind of target them with copy and marketing and whatever. But it's really hard to niche unless you know yourself well enough, in my opinion. Like, it's hard to know, you know, which clients you enjoy working with, what jobs you really like, because that suggests that you know yourself quite well and suggests that you have the life experience to pick that niche. So what do you, what kind of advice would you give um, someone else like starting out in terms of picking a road and like following that direction with Webflow mm -hmm. or just more generally with careers maybe? This was an idea that I had. I don't know if it would ever work out in reality, but I thought it might be interesting if somebody's trying to figure out a niche and they have free time to do personal projects, doing some templates or um, clonables in different um, niches so that they have more projects underneath their belt, um, which doesn't have all of the pressure of having a client and presenting it, but they can see what these different styles are like and they can research them and kind of just do a little bit of taste testing and then if you start doing maybe like two or three clonables in the same niche maybe you might want to explore that so that's just something i had been thinking about for a bit as an answer to that like a couple months ago i was thinking about that yeah and that's how you've kind of approached stuff isn't it because i remember we were on a call and you had this kind of country country house like wireframe design um which you showed mm. to us. And yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting that you have done that just because you wanted to do that and just to explore that style and, um, you know, make a Figma design that you maybe haven't had the opportunity to make before. So I think that's really, really good advice. Is there any other, um, like, different industries that you've explored using that same method? Oh, um, yeah, I remember I did, a, I did a country club clonable that I didn't end up developing, but I have all of these Figma designs for it. Oh, I remember I did another one. Like, oh, I did an architecture one. And yeah, it's really interesting. And, and something that I like doing is when I was doing that is I would um, interview people in that field um, and ask them all of these copywriting questions that would inform the text that would go on the site. Um, and then at the end, you get to send all of your, um, your, your finished clonable to those people. And then you have an impression of, hey, I know how to do this kind of project. If you know anybody in your industry that needs a site, 
text me and you can give them this example of what a website for me could look like. So I think this is a very good scheme if anybody's ever thinking about it. <laughs> that is genius. So what you did is you were like, okay, I'm intrigued about the architecture industry. Mm-hmm. I want to make a website, but I actually don't really know how to write the copy. It would be great if I had some kind of, um, you know, references of different architecture firm, you know, insights. So you literally just contacted people, what, on LinkedIn from agencies that you liked the look of, and then you just said, hey, how would I make a website if you wanted a website type thing? Yeah, it was pretty easy for me because um, uh, I had worked in an architecture firm before. um, Mm. And so I knew a bunch of people from when I was uh, interning at like 20, 21. And um, I reached out to them. They'd all worked at different firms now. And so I said, hey, can we hang out for an hour? And they're like, yeah, sure. I I haven't seen you in years. And so I just asked them a bunch of questions. It was great because they all worked at different firms. So I could blend it into uh, one hypothetical client, blend all their answers together. Um, yeah. That, that's... that is a genius method. <laughs> I've not heard of that. That's so <laughs> interesting. Do you have any other kind of gem tips for people who are maybe thinking about how to get their first clients? Because that sounds like a really good method as well. Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, clonables are a really good way to show people what a site looks like. They just want to see what your skills are. If there's no client, it's okay. <laughs> um, and then reaching out to people and letting people know that you exist by interviewing them to learn about their industry. So uh, it kind of shows people a little bit of proof and you you prove yourself before this person invests their time and money into you. So you're showing up for them before they choose you. Giving more before you take. I love that. God, you've got this approach to life, Emily, that I think is just so it's so genuine and it's it's great tell me about failure number two okay having your first big project go poorly at the copywriting and project transfer stage yeah so that was my very very first webflow project and copywriting is just gold it's copywriting is king um i think that that is probably the biggest issue that people go through is the the content because you can put the site together you can design it um everything but if there's no copy there's no site um and so yeah you know exactly what i'm talking about about, yeah and so um uh i didn't know anything about copy because i was it's my first freelancing project and so i kept on bringing it up like hey we gotta get this sorted out and then they just kept on pushing it to the side like oh we'll do that later uh, we don't have time right now. And so pretty much I had a fully built site and they just gave up on it because they didn't want to do the copy. And so I was like, so sad. Um, and then the other thing was they, while we were putting the, the copy together, they asked me to transfer the project to their account. Um, and so I did. And then they refused to give me login credentials. <laughs> And I kept, and then they would ask me to do updates to the site, and I would literally make Loom videos explaining in plain English, super detailed, like, I cannot do this unless you give me login credentials. And then they just gave me client access, the client editor. And I said, I cannot do what you're asking me to do. And then they just, like, stopped talking to me. They paid me, like, pretty much the rest of what I had worked on at that point, and then never used the site. And I was so disappointed 
but you live and learn. But it was it was it was a fail <laughs> for sure. <laughs> wow, I mean, so many lessons from that though. What do you think the biggest lesson was? Because there sounds like there were so many different parts to that. Content is king. You should be definitely before you design anything. Talk about content. Uh, story brand uh, copywriting is a big one. There are so many copywriting courses available specifically geared towards web designers. So story brand is like a great example. But yeah, content over everything because you never want to put all your blood, sweat and tears into a site and then it never gets used because they don't know what to say. So yeah. Yeah. And the content informs the whole design anyway so it's really really hard to design without copy if there anyone listening that is like wait i'm a web designer they should be providing me copy but they're not so i'm having to just like put in lorem ipsum but then the design's not right and whatever at what point do you say look client if you don't provide me the copy we can't work together or kind of how how would you approach uh, getting the copy and at what stage at this point I would probably, that'd be the first thing I would talk about. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, so how does this work? Like, do you have a person that I'm collaborating with? Or am I doing this? If I'm doing this, then we're going to add this to like the invoice. Like, this is going to be an additional thing. I, I'm not designing and developing uh, in a vacuum with no content direction and doing it for free. <laughs> I really hope you say that to clients. Yeah. <laughs> Developing. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you you have that, you know, in the first discussion before any, like, proposal is sent, you just say, look, this is how I think it's best to operate. You have a copywriter or you pay me or you do it yourself. Those are the three options. You decide, but I'm relying on you to make that decision before we start the process. That's how you'd approach it, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think at this point, if I were to uh, start a project with somebody and I got the feeling that they were like super wishy-washy on the content, I might not even take the project. I'd be like, you know what? Mm-hmm. This is not worth it emotionally. Yeah. <laughs> not doing this. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, also, I don't know if you've had this scenario, but I've had this where I'm like, are you going to pay for a copywriter? Do you want to do the copy? Should I do the copy? And if the client's like, I'll do the copy, I'll do the copy. I'm like, alarm bell. (laughs) That just means that they just don't want to pay for a copywriter. But as we've said, copy is so fundamental to the success of a project or not. And what what would you do if a client was like, I'll do it myself. Mm. And then during the project, once you, okay, fine, you're going to do it yourself, fine. And then during the project, the client didn't provide copy. How would you handle that situation? I mean, I'm not perfect at this, but I think that there should be a point where, um, hey, we can't move forward with this and I'm not going to do additional work on this until we sort out the copy. But the thing that is um, very overwhelming for people is they don't know what to do. They don't know what to write or anything. So um, from that, that story brand course that I took, there was like a list of all of these questions to ask them. And the answers uh, that you get, you can formulate into um, content. And it's just like some people really need to be handheld through that process. 
And that's totally okay because this is not what this person is specialized in. Maybe they're specialized in selling vacuums or clothing or something like that. That's the thing that they're good at. Writing content is not the thing that they're, um, they know all the answers to all of these questions that you have, but you need to ask them that and then help them formulate it into real headlines and real copy and things like that. So I'm going to put you on the spot now. And if there is one major question to help extract that information Mm. from the client, then like, can you, can you give anyone that's listening the key question or a couple of key questions that you can remember from that story brand? I think I remember two things. One was like, what is the problem that your client is going through and how does your solution fix their problems? Because that's that's super easy, but some people don't even have the answer to that, and they're trying to figure it out. Like, okay, what what are the ailments that this person has that they're coming to my site to help have me fix it? And then the other question was, um, after working with you, what should your customer feel? And those are two questions that sometimes people aren't expecting. But there's so many more questions. Like, you got to story brand courses are worth everything. <laughs> and there's so many instructors that do uh, courses um, for less expensive than directly from story brand. Hot tip there. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. I think this idea of um, like focusing on the result of, you know, interacting with the brand is, is the key thing, isn't it? Cause I think sometimes people say, well, it's a red vacuum and it's got a suction presser here. And <laughs> like actually that's not, you know, people don't necessarily care about the technology as much as the owner. Mm-hmm. And there's this kind of tension between like, what does the customer care about and what does the owner care about um, or team or whoever you're working with? So yeah, completely agree. I, I need to look at Story Brand. That's really interesting. Is that Donald Miller? Yeah. Okay. So I've read the book. I think it's called Story Brand. And then he's got a course as well. Yeah. Okay, awesome. I'll put those in the show notes if anyone's listening and is like, well, I want to explore these further. Tell me about failure number three then. Leaving a job that wasn't right for you without having another job lined up. That is a crazy thing to do. <laughs> yeah, that, that is an interest. I've done, I've done it as well and yeah. I wouldn't advise it. Talk to me about your experience. So so back up for some context for people that aren't American, um, the situation that we have going on here is uh, insurance is the most important thing in the entire world, uh, health insurance. Otherwise, you're going to go into massive debt if you ever need anything and you want to go to any hospital in the U.S. because it's extremely expensive. And most insurance, health insurance um, is uh, connected through a job. And so if you don't have a job, uh, you don't have insurance and you can't um, go to the doctor. <laughs> so it's very, it's not a good thing. Um, but so the situation is that you can be on your parents' health insurance until you're the age of 26. Um, and so I was in a job and I was learning so much. It was a really great job. Um, it was very secure. And I realized that I didn't want to do that job forever. And I was very nervous because I didn't know what else was out there for me. Um, I was very scared, but I knew that that I wasn't going to be happy if I was here forever. And I looked around and I was 23 and I thought, okay, I got three years to figure this out. And so I saved up as much as I could. I figured out how expensive my life was, what it would take to take a year off if needed, if I didn't get any freelancing projects or any 
anything else. And so I was just saving as much as I could. I have a little notion document of like my calculations on how much I needed for this, this gap year or six months or whatever. Um, and so I left my job. I went to Europe for a month to think about my life, <laughs> um, which sounds crazy, but um, I was staying with people that I knew. So it wasn't crazy expensive. I wasn't going to like France and I don't know, Greece or whatever. Um, and so uh, I was thinking about my life and uh, I came back and did a lot of interviewing. And now I think I'm, I might be going into one of two jobs um, and both I'm so excited about. And um, I'm so thankful that I took this risk because for so long I was thinking, oh my God, I'm so stupid. How could I have done that? How could I have um, uh, left? Like how such a rash, stupid decision. Um, but it wasn't. So yeah, <laughs> you can <laughs> go into any part of that story that you want. <laughs> I mean, there, there's so much to talk to you about here. And I think you, um, you did an episode, a solo episode, which I believe was episode 75. Yep. If anyone's listening, um, I definitely recommend talk, like listening to it after this. But you were very, very vulnerably talking about your life and yeah, kind of yeah. updating uh, listeners about kind of where you were at. And um, as much as at the time when you were kind of talking about all of this stuff going on in your life in the podcast, uh, it sounds like you've come out the other side of this far stronger and happier and healthier than you've than you've maybe been for a few months. Can you tell us a little bit more about like what was going on and, and kind of how you overcame that? Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to listen to that episode, buckle up. <laughs> I was a bit scary listening to it actually. There's a lot, lot going on in your life. Thanks. Yeah. So, um, so uh, long story short, um, I was in a job that I didn't want to be in forever um, and I was also in a relationship that I didn't want to be in forever. And um, for, for two different reasons, I felt like I had to stay in both of them. And so my my year as a 23-year-old was like crazy. I, I almost got married <laughs> when I shouldn't <laughs> because I thought I was, um, I, I thought I'd just stay in a situation that I really didn't. Uh, my mind was very foggy. Um because I was so stressed and I didn't know what to do when I was indecisive. And so, yeah, just going away for a month and thinking about everything um, was so helpful. Just going away from anybody that was trying to tell me what to do or how to live my life or what I should be thinking or what my opinion should be or anything like that was so, so good for me. Yeah. And then when I came, I came back and I remember on my 24th, fourth birthday I was um so lost I didn't know what to do um I was spending a weekend with my dad and um I just remember thinking like I have no idea what my life was going to be like in the next three months and uh, I was really anxious about it and my dad said "Em, this is part of being your age <laughs> like you're just gonna have you're just gonna figure it out and it's gonna be fine I'm here to support you it's it's all gonna work out but yeah that that was a rough time and then fast forward a month <laughs> two months actually i'm i'm feeling a lot better like connecting with a lot of friends spending a lot of 
quality time with people that love me and I'm doing okay yeah I'm so glad for you and I'm sure anyone listening is feeling the same it's uh I think your 20s are meant to be this time where it's like woohoo I'm in my 20s but actually <laughs> being in your 20s is like what is happening uh, or at least that's my experience as well so um yeah I I really resonate with that and it sounds like from someone that is very very organized with like research and kind of deadlines and things it must have been quite hard to just quit your job and just be like right I don't know what I'm going to do but I'm just going to work it out why did that situation come about as someone that is generally as far as I can tell like very very uh you know disciplined and organized yeah so um uh so pretty much I I decided to go away and uh end my job uh six months before I did um so there was a lot of lead up time for it yeah I don't know why like sometimes you don't always have a clear-cut answer why you do something you just have a draw to do it like I don't really always have a clear-cut answer why I have a podcast it just feels right and so I didn't really have a clear-cut answer on like why I wanted to go away for a month um you just did and then yeah literally I had my last day at my 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 previous job um I mailed my laptop back to New York and I got on a plane the next day (laughs) wow so it was yeah it was wild very grateful for it someone said that the biggest decisions in your life you shouldn't actually need to think very much about you should just know and just follow your gut if you think about it the smaller decisions like choosing which you know brand of baked beans to get in fact you're american so you don't use you don't have baked beans do you okay well this is a very british analogy but basically heinz baked beans are like the trusted brand right and then you've got all these like knockoff brands Mm-hmm. And me and my girlfriend last night went to go and get some beans and, and we were in the supermarket and we were trying to choose which brand of beans to buy for like, like a couple of minutes. <laughs> I was just like, this is the dumbest thing. Like, why don't we buy whatever beans are the cheapest? And she's like, no, I like the Heinz brand. What I'm trying to say is that sometimes <laughs> I found that the biggest decisions in life, you can choose like that because you just mm. have, you just know, you already know what is right. And then the smaller things are actually kind of hard and kind of pernickety and you've got to try and work out because they require more brain power. But the big things, I, I don't know, sometimes you just know. And it sounds like that was kind of a case for you in that, in that moment. Yeah, I, I had zero uh, doubts about my decision making by the end of that trip and yeah it was it was great like and also with my career too um i have zero doubts that user experience design and product design is the world for me um and it's just so nice to just have an answer to that after Mm. years of just not being quite sure but yeah that's a really good point and then even from in personal life um uh if you want to be with somebody it should be um zero doubts that this person is who you want to be with because there's so many people in the world the person that you choose should be the one that you have zero doubts about <laughs> yeah agreed and you know naturally those feelings might change but you should know in that moment i feel so you talked to, about going to europe there what happened in europe over that month obviously you had a, a complete whirlwind time but tell us what happened yeah yeah so i went to um Serbia in Eastern Europe. It's hilarious when I talk to people in the US because <laughs> I remember the first time I went to Serbia, uh, I was getting my hair done and this woman thought I was going to um, 
Syria. She didn't understand that Serbia existed. Um, so that that's funny. <laughs> um, and so many people uh, in the U.S. I would say, oh, I'm going to Eastern Europe. They're like, are you going to come back? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I am. But um, yeah, so I had a, I had a great time. Um, I have a bunch of friends there, actually. So I was spending a lot of time with people my age. I was staying with a family. So it was like full immersion in that culture. The food was amazing. Um, everybody was so welcoming and so kind. Serbians have amazing hospitality. Eastern Europeans, like in general, uh, the, the people that I've met and the people that I'm friends with are wonderful and, and so kind. And they just give me so much food. And, uh, and that was great. Um, and also while I was there for a week, I, I left Serbia and went to uh, Palermo, Sicily, which is where my last name is from. A lot of the time that I spent there was by myself. I was like by the water, by myself or in that little courtyard by the Palermo Cathedral. And um, just thinking about my life, thinking about, okay, these decisions that I'm making, am I confident about them? What am I going to do? Like, where do I want to work? Am I happy? What are my interests? Am I friends with the people that I want to be friends with? Like, full quarter-life crisis evaluation. Um, and it was it was wonderful. It was tough. I was exhausted. Um, I wasn't eating that much because I wasn't doing okay. Like I remember I was, um, uh, I was, my stomach was so upset a lot of the time that I could only really have bananas and milk and water. Like I, I could barely eat food. I would go out to restaurants with people and people be paying for my food. I'd eat a couple of bites and I couldn't really finish it. And I just have to take the rest home. So I was going through a full evolution moment. <laughs> Can you imagine like the stress that is when you kind of question every aspect of personal life and like work life and and everything but um i'm glad you're at the other side of that but can i ask you so in terms of like web flowers that are trying to you know figure out because there's a lot of young listeners to to webflow and a lot of people that are entering the the webflow space and i think people are kind of jumping into making websites but actually they're trying to figure out who they are a bit you know, they're, they're trying to make and they're trying to explore. But ultimately, you know, it takes a little bit of time to kind of figure out your design aesthetic, figure out what you're interested in, who, you're, who you want to work with, etc. So what advice would you give to people who are kind of maybe in a little bit of a like a crisis stage themselves trying to figure out, do I want to be a Webflow freelancer? What am I even going to make? Who do I want to work with? Who am I? Am I friends with these people? It sounds like a lot of the same questions. Would you just recommend going away for a month like you did, <laughs> what advice would you give them? The route that I went on was pretty okay. I graduated freelance for a bit to uh, have some projects in my portfolio and be able to show people something. And I interviewed and I worked a year in a user experience role. And I learned so much about accessibility, um, responsiveness, different components. I was on a components team. And so we were building components for other people to build sites. So it was like like a mini Rayloom, but not like <laughs> as cool as those guys. Yeah. So that was, that was, you got to learn from people that know more than you. So I think that that is a really valuable thing um, to have at some point in your career. And then that job was very secure. So I was saving as much as I could. And then that gave me the time to take a break after I had all of this education from working in that job, I could take a break and think about what I wanted to do next. 
um, and I had a little bit of experience. And so then I just started interviewing at all of these different companies that I respected. And I had the time to think it through and also choose a job that I liked rather than just one that would pay my bills um, because I was really desperate. I mean, everybody's been there. I've been there, but it's just saving as much as I could from that previous job gave me a little bit more confidence to say, you know, that salary isn't what I want or that responsibility within that role isn't what I was looking for. But yeah. And so that brings me where I am now. I'm deciding between two paths starting in the new year. So looking forward to all of that. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. So if anyone is kind of having a quarter life crisis, as Emily calls it, sounds (laughs) like the advice that you're giving is potentially to work with people that know more than you, whether that's in an agency role or freelancing for an agency or Mm -hmm. whatever. And then from there, you can kind of learn a bit about yourself through that process, work out what you want, what you don't want, whether freelancing's right for you, whether workflow's right for you. Um, And then you can kind of make a decision from there. And if you want to take a break for a month, you've got the money to take a break for a month and kind of, you know, assess from there. So it sounds really, really healthy, Emily. So we have gone through your three biggest failures. I feel like there's so many nuggets we have, <laughs> we have extrapolated from you. And I'm so glad that, um, you know, you shared what you shared. Um, but before I end the episode, where can people find you? Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, if you want to listen to my podcast, it's called The Great Design Lead Podcast. And it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your podcast. If you want to reach out to me, um, you could email me, which is emily, E-M-I-L-Y, at greatdesignlead.com. Uh, if you want to be friends, you can find me <laughs> on Instagram <laughs> and Twitter at greatdesignlead, and my name pops up, so you'll know that it's me. And yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. And uh, so to round this off, what I'd like to know is is what's next for you, not just with the job, but with the podcast and kind of how you want 2023 to go, if I, if I can be so um, invasive to ask you that. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, 2023, um, I would like to start a new job um, uh, on a team building experiences, um, whether that be in a, a corporate consulting environment or a product environment, um, open to both. I want to um, uh, redecorate my apartment. Uh, right now it looks very like college girl apartment. Um, and I'd like to elevate it. Maybe like, I don't know, get a couch that isn't a futon, something like that. <laughs> um, and uh, something that I would love to do this year is um, with working remotely, it gives you opportunity to um, travel. Um, so I think it'd be great to at some point this year go on at least one month-long trip where I work on New York time um, and then live somewhere else. So um, within, I think, most of Europe, um, that would be like a 2 p.m. to 11 p.m. workday. So I think that would be really interesting. And I have a very good friend that also works remotely and would be willing to do that with me. So if Lauren and I could do that, that would be great. Thanks so much for listening to episode 21 of Webflow with Emily Giordano. And thanks so much to Emily for coming on. This interview was one of those that made me feel warm for hours afterwards. 
Emily is such a genuine person and it's great to hear her thoughts on navigating a quarter-life crisis, in her words, giving more than taking, and copywriting. There were plenty of nuggets in here, but the part of the interview that really stood out for me is Emily's advice about how to choose a niche. Emily suggests making clonables for whatever industry you're interested in, which will mean you get to grips with the industry because you'll have to do research, and you can take it a step further and talk to people in that industry to get their hot take, see what their website needs are, and maybe even what features they particularly want that they don't currently have on their website. This will mean that not only you'll be able to make better clonables and see if you even like working with that industry, but you'll potentially have your first clients too. Kind of genius. Next week, we have an incredible episode with Mason Poe, founder of Edgar Allen Studio. We'll talk about stresses and strains of setting up an agency, hustle culture, and serving the Webflow community. This episode, I'm really excited to release this episode. I promise it's a banger. Excited to share this one next week. Until then, web flailers. <laughs>